Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease and a whole lot of love, you transform 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it at affordable prices. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. I'm Steve Letarte, STP auto expert and former crew chief. I know what it takes to keep engines performing at their best. STP's latest breakthrough additive, STP Ultra 5-in-1 Plus Fuel System Cleaner Plus Fuel Stabilizer, delivers three times the amount of cleaning agents versus premium gasoline and helps keep fuel fresh during storage. For over 60 years, STP has been on the cutting edge developing products to help engines run better, longer. One bottle contains three times by weight the amount of cleaning agents compared to 20 gallons of the leading premium gasoline. Greetings. Welcome to the NASCAR NBC podcast. I'm your host, Nate Ryan. Our guest is Rutledge Wood, the features reporter for NBC Sports NASCAR coverage. If you've watched our race broadcasts and coverage, you know who Rutledge is. He always makes an impression with his reports. They often are delightfully offbeat, but that sometimes belies the fact that they are quite illuminating and informative as well. Uh, One of my recent favorites was his tour of the ISC archives across the street from Daytona National Speedway. has all these NASCAR relics and artifacts, and Rutt's sense of humor really came through uh, in that piece, and so did his appreciation and understanding of NASCAR history. Uh, that video is on NBCSports.com slash NASCAR if you want to take a look. We discussed that during this podcast, and we also talked about Rutt's origins in TV, his unconventional approach and philosophy to reporting, and his love of the automobile. Rudd has quite a few in his collection. Uh, as always, we appreciate you listening. If you're an iTunes fan, please leave a rating or review, or please subscribe or have your friends subscribe. That really helps us out. There are also many other options for finding us, Audio Boom, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify. We have episodes every Wednesday, sometimes more than that, depending on if opportunities arise for more guests. If you are subscribed on iTunes or elsewhere, you won't miss an episode. So without further ado, here's our conversation with Rutledge Wood, which we taped on the morning of the Coke Zero Four Hundred at Daytona. Okay, NASCAR on NBC Podcast History. We've done remote locations before, but we've never done a remote taping. Wait, I take that back. We have. We've done a remote taping at the track. We did it with Joey Logano um, right before the Daytona 500, but we've never done it like in the TV compound with the Elvis-style mics. This is new. So (laughs) a big step. (laughs) Trying to make it seem as if this is a real unprecedented... Only for you, Rutledge Wood, would, would we go to these links? It's big time. A, a lot of people wouldn't know you could do this kind of quality entertainment in a single <laughs> wide office trailer. That's right. But today we're going to deliver that. The amenities and accoutrements that we have in this podcast studio, just as good as my podcast studio at NBC Sports Charlotte, which totally. is my office. Right. Which is an austere room with a desk. And no decorations whatsoever. Landon Castle came in and made fun of it once that we needed artwork working on that. But um, th- this is somewhat of a, um, of a of a story trailer. It's called BP's Place. Right. After Benny Parsons. This is where all the magic happens in terms of production and race meetings. So I feel like this is, there's a good vibe in here. Oh, yeah. Right? This is perfect. Okay. Let's start with how your Daytona has been, Rutledge. I, I saw the uh, the art ISC archives feature was yes. fantastic. Well, that was all thanks to you. That was really the hat tip from from you that said, "Hey, you, you guys really ought to go check this place out." Yeah, and I'm glad it came to fruition. I mean, I don't want to take too much credit, but like Herb Branham invited a few media over there last year and uh, at Speed Weeks 2015 just to check it out, and I could have spent hours in there. Just falling down the rabbit hole. Just to explain it, if you haven't seen it, you should go check out Rutledge's video if you haven't. It's on NBCSports.com slash NASCAR. But um, they have all this 
fabulous nostalgia and artifacts and the fans. It's mostly come from fans, I think. Right? Uh, yeah, just tons them. of it. Tons of it has come from fans. There's only... It's basically anything about racing, not just NASCAR, but anything about racing from Daytona, which includes so many, so many great pictures from the beach. The uh, Her probably showed you that collection of photos from like the original beach photographer right. Yep. to see guys in suits. And we're talking like for real early 1900s, classy three piece suits in a line, like basically like a fireman's like bucket chain trying to pull cars out of the water. Right. That's, we just forget like, that's how this all started. Right. A bunch of crazy people with a flat beach. <laughs> And then we're here at the at like the most up to date stadium in the world that can do so many different things. It's a crazy, it's a crazy thing to experience. And and walking through that archives, it, the coolest part is it's not, you know, there's a lot of different places you can kind of see and experience history in and around this sport. But this one, it's really hidden because really the only way you can get to it is to do a, a VIP track tour at Daytona, and that's the only way it's really accessible. And someone like Herb will be able to take you around. But to me, the real cherry on the top, as I'm sure you felt too, was seeing as close to an original recreation of, of Bill France's office. Yes. Yeah, I've heard about it. And and Herb let me sit down in there. And you sit at this desk in this really nice chair, but a, but a pretty simple desk with lots of old literature on it. The original wood paneling was really, really hard for those guys to find, but they found the wood paneling. I mean, everything is so period correct. And you sit there and you think about the big deals that have happened yeah. at that desk and the way that when he took over and where he took everything, it's it's really just hard yeah. to fathom that that we've come this far. Right. I mean, right. the fact that guys like you and I are here and that we have jobs and <laughs> like that alone is a huge thing. But it was such a cool moment. To get to sit there, and, and Herb said that the family had assembled um, pretty closely to that office with the desk, the chair, the right. couch, everything. In Bill's later years, when when um, he was first experiencing Alzheimer's, they felt like this would be this great place, and so they created it. And it turned out to be this wonderful thing for him because it was it was a place he was familiar with and comfortable with. And I think that's just one of those cool things that you see along the way that you never expect to. Mm -hmm. And and when Herb said that that Dale Jr. spent two hours there last year just walking around with him and Amy, and he saw all these cool pictures of his grandfather, those are the moments when you just think, like, this is so cool. Because there's so many times we forget that when they started this, this was just guys trying to figure out, how do I do more of this thing that I love? Right possibly one day make a living at it but so many of them had other jobs right the fact that any of this history was captured and saved truly unbelievable right but what you hear about bill france is that he was truly a visionary and i think like that office and all the things in that room speak to it because he said as he said right like when he started it it was kind of a shambolic um disorganized i would say thing racing in general stock car racing and he had a vision that he thought it could be what it is now and i heard stories about that office um and about how they constructed that for his later years when he was experiencing that that dementia and how that helped him and so to walk in there and actually see it and have that living history just hit home and to see as you said like you're looking at this desk with the the telephone you're thinking about like all the calls that must have important calls right like that phone may have been used in, I don't know, something that, that got the Southern 500 started or something like that. Like, it's just... It's what? Kenny Rogers wants to make a movie yeah. about the sport? <laughs> what yeah. are you going to call it? Yeah, exactly. Six pack. Okay, good. Let's do it. Exactly. That's, um, it's a neat thing. So, but yeah. The fact that, that... I think Joey Chitwood was the one that really said, we need to do something with all of this stuff we've yeah. amassed. We need to, to at least... Try to lay it out so people can see it up close. And they also have a huge vault that's climate controlled where they keep, uh, obviously, tons and tons of old reels of all the races, um, old movies. Old that, that was the fun pictures. part for me. I could have found, fallen down that rabbit hole for days. Like, they have the, the run of show from, like, uh, Winston Cup award ceremonies at the Waldorf Astoria. Everyone they ever had there, they have like the minute by minute of how they did things. I mean, just silly little things like that minutia that like some people might find, ah, who who cares about that? But others like me, nerds, would be like, 
this is great stuff. Yeah. Like this, this, again, it's living history. It tells you like how things got to where they are now and how they did things then. I think I always feel like to figure out where you're going, you need to look back where you came from and totally. study that. And that is a great example of it. Um, what else have you done in Daytona so far this weekend? That you well, know? you know, Daytona in the summer, we have dodged weather yes. as uh, every single Daytona in the summer that I can remember in my 12 years in this sport has been like. So been doing that a bit. Uh, I got to hang with Jim Cantori from the Weather Channel yesterday for a little while. Delightful guy. Yeah. I felt a tiny bit bad that I said, everywhere you go, bad weather is there. So when are you leaving? But that was <laughs> that was the truth. I said, you don't have to go home, but you got to get out of here. And he left in the afternoon yeah. and we got the races. So maybe maybe that helped. I think you might, might have been a key. Do, please don't go stand b- down by the beach and put on like a rain slicker right. and do live remotes while you're here, Jim. It's never good news. Yeah, it's always bad. And I, I had to ask him, you know what? You, you've stood in 100-mile-per-hour hurricane weather um, winds. What's that compared to almost 200 miles an hour around the track with – with Kyle Bush and he said, Yeah, that's uh that's crazy. That yeah. there's a mental experience. So that was that was cool to see him. And I think probably my favorite thing I've done so far this week was to hang out uh with a bunch of people from NBC and do the throwback race we watched Wednesday night. Right. That was such a cool idea. It was a great execution of a very And I neat think idea. people saw you probably did too. It was amazing to see I think it was Pete Pistoni pointed out that you know, here we are on a Wednesday night. We're watching a race from 15 years ago, and this is all anybody in this sport could talk about. And it was it was amazing. Not only the fact that we were the number one trending topic on Twitter in the U.S., but the fact that people watching Dale Jr. talk about that race and why I did certain things to me was that sort of introspective view at it, and to give us that info that that we've always loved. I mean, that's huge. Yeah. That was such a cool experience. I think Dale Jr. described it as, uh, he said, like, it was like being in a big room with lots of people, like, watching it, like, being in a big sports bar. I always describe Twitter sometimes as, like, especially the second screen experience of watching a sporting event is, like, you're on the couch, the the world's largest couch with, like, a hundred thousand of your closest strangers uh all experiencing <laughs> it together. And it was, that it was really cool Wednesday night. I agree. It a, it's a, and it's a, uh, such a cool idea to take moments like that and i'll be honest i i think if they did that if they had a one race like that a week yeah i'd, I'd watch all of them because uh, honestly even the ones that you've seen 10 times yep it's still so cool to see that and to think about because even at that point you think man how far had they come exactly in 30 years at that point or in 40 years or 50, like it's just a, the perspective of this sport is changing so much yeah I mean, you still, I, I laugh thinking about when, when Kyle Busch climbed out after winning at Bristol and said, yeah, this car tomorrow sucks. <laughs> and you're like, wait, you just kicked everybody's butts. Yeah. And you're, oh, okay. And then you think about like, oh, wait, maybe he's right. Maybe that car does kind of suck. I know. But it got us to X, Y, and Z. And so it's, yeah. there's these fascinating waves of this sport. And, you know, you've written about some of these changes for years. But when you get that chance to just sit and watch and think about what it was just before this moment that we remember yeah it's really cool yeah the perspective really changes when you when you have a chance to look back that way um so obviously you have great interest in cars and in history which might surprise some people we're going to get to your interest in cars um but uh i want to know how did you gravitate toward the type of reporter and personality that you are um because Obviously, you do great stuff, but it's it's off the beaten path. Sure, uh, as as we sort of branded it last year, I think I can't remember what we called it off off the track with off tra- Ru- yes off track with, off with track. Ru- okay. Um, obviously, some of that is is innate. Like I think some of that speaks to your your personality, and and it's what you are meant to do in some ways. But I, I think you certainly you have the chops if you wanted to, to to do it to to be a pit reporter with, with your racing knowledge and sure. grasp of history and everything. How did you end up? moving more toward the the lighthearted more irreverent stuff which we need by the way to counterbalance the overly serious stuffy people (laughs) like myself well you know when i i started in this sport from a craigslist ad in 2005 and that was (laughs) yeah that's how i got my start at the speed channel um and and i had gone to school for marketing i always loved cars i knew it was something i wanted to do and I'd only been to a NASCAR race because when I worked for country music television, my first job out of school, we did mobile marketing. So we went to Charlotte for that, that summer stretch. And to see 
the spectacle of the sport that would have been oh four was huge and i thought man this is this is crazy that this is what it's like all the time like it's just gigantic i'm sorry it was 2003 and so was that the first the first sport you were the first race you attended was the first race you were working pretty much yes wow okay. yes I, I, same experience here I would yeah. just been outside the track at Charlotte it's a, you know yeah. so it ended up two years later and I had sent all my stuff in online and and got it drove up to Charlotte for an interview that I thought went very poorly <laughs> and uh, one of the people I was interviewing with barely looked at me but it turned out I got the job came down here you know and I knew the basics of Petty and Earnhardt and Wallace, but to be honest, I didn't know much about where the sport was at the time. I didn't know a lot of the kind of middle players, Uh but I, you know, I grew up in Birmingham and I knew that twice a year there's traffic 45 minutes outside of town, but that's, that's really, there's, there are, we forget that there's great pockets of disconnect of racing and certain sports in just pockets of the country. And I was in one of those apparently. So I came down here in 05 and uh, and just fell in love with it. Uh, for me, the first part was seeing fans that are this passionate about a sport that runs so long. You know, and, and if you look at some of these other sports, it's really intense, and it's about twelve weeks, and they're out, mm-hmm. and then they have the rest of the year to think about. Man, wasn't that great? I can't wait to go tailgate again or do those things. But you know, we asked so much of these fans, and I, I just loved the people. I just thought they were awesome that they can show up with this kind of. Uh, smile and fun for a sport they're like nomads for a party it's it was great so when i was i I was the mc at the speed stage and there was a guy named chris long who was kind of running stuff um for for speed at the time muscles they called him and i kept trying to convince muscles to to put me on tv and he's like all right what are you going to talk about i said i don't want to talk about the cars (laughs) <laughs> and he said, well, you, I, I know you're like the big car guy, right? Yeah. I was like, yeah, yeah, I said, but you've got a lot of people that can talk about cars, but the reason these fans show up are not the cars. They show up because of the people driving them. So let's let's talk about the people. For the longest time, he just never understood that. And he, he said, I don't, I don't know if that's going to work. And then one day he realized that in between shows, I would just get up and talk to the fans and have fun with them. And he noticed how many would stay in between shows when there wasn't anything going on he said all right so maybe there's something to this maybe you can entertain these people a little bit so i convinced him the following year to to give me a shot so the very first thing i ever did i went and shot a piece uh with mark Trena and a guy named chase we went to the infield and we did this kind of crazy scavenger hunt and a lot of people were like what is this guy doing <laughs> he's having fun in we, the infield we've never seen this before yeah, on what, tv what like is this, this? Yeah. and and it worked. And they said, all right, well, if it works, we'll put you on every other weekend and we'll let you do more stuff. But I still had to do my same job at the speed stage. And I convinced them that this was going to work and the fans liked it and thought it was fun. It was different. And I just thought, let's just showcase. My main goal at first was just to showcase the fans and the people that show up that make all of this possible. Because you and I know this racing is really neat. Yeah. But if there's no spectators, there is no racing. Right. It's the, the, to me, there, it is so simple. It's just about the fans. You have to take care of these people, what they want to see, um, what they like. You have to try to give that to them because they're the entire audience. It's cool that we like to watch and we're fans also. Yeah. But there's no jets. There's no cars. There's no lake houses. There's no none of that without these fans. And and that's just always been my my view and my take on why we need to to have fun with them and, and listen to them and enjoy them. And uh I remember the first time, the very first time they put me on NASCAR Live, they said, we want you to go interview Mark Martin. And I said, okay, (laughs) Mark Martin, that's a big deal. So I went over and said, hello, Mr. Martin, sir. Um, I'd really like to to interview you and, uh, and talk about your week. He said, "Why do you why do you want to talk to me about my week?" <laughs> I said, "Well, how uh, how are you in practice?" He said, "We're like thirty fourth. I said, "That's why," <laughs> and I just smiled at him. And he looked at me for a second, and then there was this kind of slow smile. He's like, "Okay, let's talk. <laughs> let's talk about right, you my week." The test. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh my gosh, it worked! Yeah. This might work." And so I, I found that being able to do that and and try to show because I do I have genuine interest in all of these people and, and right. what makes them tick and what got them here. 
And so I started just talking to the drivers about them and their personalities. Because at the end of the day, like one of my favorites that's ever been in this sport is Elliot Sadler. And Elliot is one of those guys, because he has a heart of gold and he smiles and he loves what he does, there's so many people that see themselves in that. And there's a reason he's always had a ton of fans. And it's just because people, you know, at the end of the day, the reason that people pulled for senior or junior or Harvick or whatever is they they see something in them that they feel is like them or something that they want to be. You know, they make this connection with these people and it's very real. And so if we can do stuff to highlight that and bring that out, then I think that's really cool. You know, yeah. the the fact that, you know, I'm, I'm a father of three little girls and the fact that they love to see Danica out here is so cool to me. You know, everything. Oh, is that Danica? Is that, is that her right there? Yeah. Which, which car is she in? She's in the blue and white car this weekend. You know, it's, it's a really neat thing when you get to see those moments or, uh, you know, our eight year old Elsie is a huge Jimmy Johnson fan Yeah, because she used to see a lot of the pictures that I did when we were doing the Jimmy jam that you went to a few yeah, of them yeah, with, yeah. with the, the rock with, band. Yeah, exactly. And that's another concert. one of those things that you think about, you know, great ways that companies in this sport connect with fans. It's just, it's about trying to do stuff that's fun and that it's different. And I think that's kind of where it's always come from is it's, there are people that forget sometimes because sports seem very, very serious. All of them. Yeah. Every single sport I'll is plead, a form of I'll entertainment. I'll plead guilty here, by right? the way. Right. Okay. Yeah. See, you can, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, and I know it's easy because we want to take things so seriously, but all of this, it's just a form of entertainment. We're not just proverbially going around in circles. We're literally going around in circles. Baseball is just a, a stick and a and a ball <laughs> twined. It's it's not science. We're not we're not all out here looking for a cure for cancer. We're not saving the world by cleaning up trash every single day. We're out here having fun, enjoying life, and. That to me is what's so great about it. I think yeah. it should. I think they should be fun and, and exciting. And you know, you don't have to be a huge basketball fan to, to watch Game Seven and see the Cavaliers win and think, "Man, this is awesome!" Right? People that were never LeBron James fans are all of a sudden like, "Man, he's not so bad. Yeah. He brought it home." Yeah. yeah. And that's to me. That's what I, I think. That's why you need that that balance of it. I mean, I, I read almost every story you put up, and I I pay attention to them, and I listen to them, and I think about how those apply to all of these different people. And at the end of the day, without that serious eye, then I wouldn't have anything to, to bring any amount of brevity to it. But I, th- I do think sports needs that counterbalance. Because, yeah. you know, like Kyle Petty, who is, who is one of my best friends, I've learned so much from him about this sport and how things are and were. And, and truly, I don't think there's a better voice in this sport who has seen change and from a great perspective and... Um, and sometimes that scares people, right? Sometimes his honesty and the things that he's seen make people go, Oh, that can't be right. And then later they go, no, that that's actually exactly right. Right. He's totally on the money and that, and sometimes that's made people, you know, push back from him, but it's the same sort of thing where you're like, no, it's okay. Yeah. Here's the things that I've seen and, and what differences we have. And I think that's what makes a sport so unique. I got good advice recently. I don't know if I read this or I heard this somewhere, but it was essentially like uh, you should take doing your job seriously, but you should never take yourself seriously in some ways. And I thought, like, that's that's a good way, to, especially doing what we do, working in what some would call the toy department, covering sports. Right. It's kind of different than uh, curing cancer or, or doing important work. Um, I would also posit that Mark Martin probably, not to be stereotypical here, Mark Martin growing up in Batesville, Arkansas, probably had never been interviewed by anyone Oh, for like sure. you before. <laughs> right? Like I didn't and, I didn't know that NASCAR is a very humbling sport. Yes. Because like I, I remember the first probably ten or fifteen times I saw you, I thought this this is the most serious person I'll ever meet <laughs> in my life because I always you you are and still to this day incredibly professional. You're always super prepared. You have great questions, even if you're one of those people that prepare so much that people don't see, you have great questions ready. Even in the event that it never happens, you, you've got stuff ready. And so I would see you at different things and think, this guy's not going to like me. This, there's no chance that me and this guy in the blazer are, are oh, going to be man. friends. And we had it all wrong. Right. Totally. And then I was like, oh my gosh, Nate's one of my favorite people here. But that's that's kind of what is is interesting about this sport and way people are and, and you see. And, and it, it was a humbling humbling experience to come out here 
like I'm, this is not going to surprise you. I've always been a little different, and yes. uh, my parents are always great at reminding me that that's okay. That yes. you don't maybe dress and look exactly like everyone else. But I tell you what, the first couple of years in NASCAR, I'd walk in certain place and the record would stop. Like, well, who's the <laughs> dude with the bad mohawk <laughs> and the beard? What is this guy? Oh, want? I, again, I am culpable in this, mm-hmm. and uh, I will say that, uh, and I think it's great. Like we're talking about this. Like sometimes all it takes is just bridging that gap. Yeah, and not really. Necessarily sort of like celebrating differences but like just sort of like looking at the fact hey we're all here for the same reason even though we might have come from different backgrounds or different people usually i'm good at first impressions rut um but there have been some notable exceptions the the biggest one would be my biggest one would be the replacements which i thought the first time i heard them i thought they were just another 80s sure college rock alternative band and then they became my favorite of all time when i realized the genius of Paul Westerberg, their frontman and See, songwriter. Um, the other one of the other notable exceptions would be Rutledge Wood. Oh boy! Uh, when I first saw you on TV, I am guilty, hundred uh, percent, of thinking you were like the goofy dude who looked as if you had made like a wrong turn into a racetrack from on your way to like Bonnaroo or the Sasquatch <laughs> Festival or somewhere. So first, let me apologize, and then secondly, because I don't think I've ever asked you this. Obviously, we, we've come to learn over the last few years, you were very into cars through your other uh, ancillary TV programs and whatnot. I know your dad, I guess, was into restoring cars. Is sure. that How did you become such a, a car nut, and what's the history of that for you? Well, I should, I should dispel the myth that, uh, because a lot of people wondered how a dude that looked like me ended up on TV. I'm, of, in fact, no relation to the Wood Brothers. <laughs> Number <laughs> let's one. Let's get that out there let's right away. Get, let's put it yeah. out there. <laughs> Uh, my dad grew up on Route 66 in New Mexico, and his parents had a John Deere dealership, uh, International Harvester, and a Napa Auto Parts all in the same little strip, plus they had a wrecker service. So not only would they go get your car when it broke, but then they would sell you the parts and they would fix it, and you would pay for all of that. So it was a pretty good little system Yeah, in in. Morarity, New Mexico, outside Albuquerque. So my dad always grew up around cars, and my dad's probably had, he's probably had 200 cars, but most of those were before he was 18. You know, he'd have them for four days and work on them, clean them up, and sell them. So I kind of got that um, that look at cars through him, and he kind of got me into them. And then for some reason, I just really ran with it. I remember I would go to the grocery store with my mom every single time she would go to the grocery, and I would just stand in the magazine aisle. And I would read every car magazine, not just the ones that I was interested in, but I would just stand there and read every single car magazine they had because I thought, this is really neat. And so that's like, you know, on. on Do you think it was genetic that he sort of just passed it on to you? I think so. But the weird thing was, my love of cars far surpassed his. Really? You know, like he kind of got to a point where he was like, I just want air conditioning (laughs) and I like it to start every time. And I'm still into rust buckets and I'll chase a Craigslist deal. All day. I, I don't know about you, but there's like there may be certain things. Kyle is one of those guys that looks for guitars in different cities we go to. I will get on Craigslist when we're in Kansas, yeah. when we're in Kentucky, wherever, and I'll see like just make sure there's nothing like a crazy deal right by us, and then figure out how can I convince Champion or someone else to to <laughs> tow it back east. But that's that's really what my dad got me started in it, and also that. That time that I spent in the grocery store reading magazines while my mom shopped, that's also where I learned a ton of info and in, in history on cars so that when I got the chance to do Top Gear, they're like, wow, how do you know all this stuff? And you know, yeah. and we know the term is nerd is not a bad thing, no. but they didn't want to put like car nerd uh, on, on the you know, title credits of the show. So it says the expert. And I was like, <laughs> I don't think you can put expert. I, don't th- I think that's a gray area. And someone in the room was like, so if I have a Mitsubishi Eclipse, like what motor's in there? I was like, oh, it's a 4G63. And they're like, okay. <laughs> Do you see how no one else in the room knows that? I was like, "That's, but that's not. And then they did like four more. And I was like, okay. All right. I'm going to get flack for it, but you can call me the expert. That's fine. So, so you own... 55 cars and trucks or is it 11? I, I've, I've read conflicting reports and I understand Rachel, your wife, maybe has put limits on how many cars you can own right now. Yeah, it's a smart move. Uh, <laughs> I The number is weird. So I have owned at this point, I, I think I've probably hit 100 or real close. Uh, and at 36, I think that's a, that's a lot of cars to have owned and, and sold. I think technically right now there are, uh, there's like a, Somewhere between eleven and uh, and fourteen. Those don't all run though, so that's a weird. <laughs> you know, like I bought a car. Keep in mind, a lot of these are ones that are projects. 
and under six hundred dollars, and they seem like a good idea. Yeah. And instead of having like a three thousand dollar car, I'd rather have five six hundred dollar cars, and that makes no sense. <laughs> wait, wait a second. Let's stop right there. You're talking to a man whose blue book value of my car, one of my two cars now, uh, is like three hundred dollars. So, listen, I, if you're if you have a car for five hundred dollars and it runs. I'm with you. Matt. You're a, it's a good. Yeah. It's a good backup plan. Your yeah. Tercel, which Kyle and I still we want to we want to detail that thing. <laughs> want to make that sucker shine like a diamond. That's a that's a perfect example to me of like of your style is like hey this thing works it runs great I'm gonna drive it until I absolutely can't drive it anymore. I'm usually the guy that buys the car after you've given up. <laughs> it's like I have a I have a '72 Datsun 510. Oh coupe. wow. That I pulled out from underneath this guy's back porch. He met. I was at a baseball game for my godson. He's like, "Oh, I got a car you might like." He told me about it. So I went out there, and in trying to to rescue the car from the backyard, I scratched up the right side of my tundra and probably caused. I haven't fixed it yet. I'm going to assume probably a thousand bucks worth of paint damage. <laughs> All um, worth it to make this for a six hundred dollar car, right? Like, what's <laughs> wrong with it? And I still ended up having to call my friend with a tow truck because I couldn't get it out of there. The rear end was locked up, and we couldn't couldn't make it slide and pull it. <laughs> so it cost me another hundred dollars. Plus, I got to paint the side of my truck at the bottom. Apparently, blueberry bush is real stiff. They really, really cause some damage. So, yeah, it's a it's a tough habit. And then there's always that thing where you wake up one day and you're like, "Why do I have all these junky cars that I don't have time to work on? I need to <laughs> let someone else mess with that. Take them." So, and you also have a 1953 suburban that was given you by yes, Richard Petty, the Plymouth. Okay. Wow. That thing's really neat. I saw it sitting behind Petty Enterprises for years. Kyle had bought it for the king Mm -hmm. um, with the king's money from some guy that had stopped by at the shop and said, hey, I got some cars y'all should come see. And it's a two-door station wagon. And when we got it, it was really rough. It wasn't running. The king gave it to me after years and years of pestering about it. And he said one day, just come get it before I do something with it. And my dad and I drove up the next day. I was on a Sunday at like Talladega. My dad and I called my dad. I was like, get the trailer. We're leaving in the morning. Drove up, scooped that thing up. So I drove it around um, rusty and, and beat up with holes in the floorboard for a couple years. I traded it to Kyle for a year for another car. And Kyle never drove it. And the other car never got out of the shop in the year. So I went back, picked the Plymouth back up. And that's when I restored it with uh with summit racing so now it's got almost 500 horsepower six speed four wheel disc brakes it's got a big old vintage air conditioning system in there it's awesome it runs we, it runs <laughs> it, runs it drives well. great it's got white walls on there i painted it and we took uh we took it to atlanta motor speedway to show the king and we shot a little thing uh for i guess that would have been uh i guess that would have been on fs1 i don't remember at this point and and i think when I pulled up, all he said was, it's the wrong color. Like, what? Like, <laughs> isn't it supposed to be Petty Blue? Petty Blue, yeah. Like, Come on, that's all you can say? <laughs> What's great about the king is that the king, as you know, is this amazing, like, he he's like a real-life cartoon character. Right. He is every wonderful thing that people have ever said about him. And then the more time that I've spent around him, I realize he's just my best friend's old man. Like every every story about your friends and their dads, when you realize that it still works with someone <laughs> as as just you know real life and and gigantic as he is, turns out it's just Kyle's dad. <laughs> got funny shit. Like one day he was rooting around the house, and Kyle heard him went downstairs and like, "What are you looking for?" He's like, "We're out of breakfast cookies." <laughs> what? Yeah, we don't have any breakfast cookies. They were out in Wyoming. Kyle's like, well, "What? What are you talking about?" He realized after like five minutes of discussion, the king was talking about Twinkies, which he refers to as breakfast, breakfast cookies. cookies. So Kyle went to the gas station and like bought every Twinkie they had <laughs> 20 minutes away and came back and the king was all right. But for that five minutes, he was freaking out, opening every pantry, slamming doors. Where's all the breakfast cookies? Yes. Good time. The things that can dominate a seven-time champion's life that you don't really yeah. realize. Uh, they're just like us. Just like us. Uh, so moving back to uh, to your gig with, with us, um, how did you decide that – I know you, you said you studied marketing. You, you did that with um, country music television. That yep. was kind of how you got into it. How, when did you decide that like being on camera and TV was the thing? I kind of always knew that that's what I wanted to do. I just didn't know if it was possible. Mm-hmm. So when I when I took that job – with speed through the marketing department, that was definitely, that was definitely my goal. Uh, I wasn't totally sure that was attainable, 
but I just kept busting my butt and doing everything I could to, to get that shot. And then when we started doing it, that was really the first camera work I had done. And I was like, okay, I can do this. This The hardest part, honestly, and, and you've probably felt that early on was it's hard to get really comfortable with this inanimate object that's staring at you and you have to make a relationship still with working it. on it yeah right? like it's, it's hard and i yeah at some point because you can see a camera guy who's usually got one eye closed and sometimes the other one will kind of look at you just to make sure but you have to you have to develop this relationship with this little eye that's looking at you and uh, the the more comfortable i got with that i realized like i just need to make people feel like they're here and they're a part of it and the crazy thing for me is that Top Gear found me because a race fan loaded something onto YouTube illegally that I had done on race day with John Schneider from the Dukes of Hazard when he was a grand marshal at Atlanta Motor Speedway. And apparently I spent a good duration of this piece questioning the nature of the relationship between him and Daisy. <laughs> and I would never refer to him as John. I would only refer to him as Bo. And I was like, so Daisy, she's not your real cousin, right? And he's like, no, that's it's an actress, Catherine Bach. But like, she's not your first cousin. No, no, she's not. And so if I was like, do y'all ever, you know, go see a movie or go out to dinner or anything? I'm, again, I'm just being a smart ass. I'm a, I just thought this would be fun and so our very first executive producer saw that and thought this guy might be funny we should talk to him and he was in john hessling is the is the guy's name great guy and he was in a position where he was trying to look at everybody who'd been on tv for cars in like the last 10 years and so i somehow i somehow made that list from from a race fan who i don't know who it is because the stuff got taken down some race fan that liked me changed my life in this huge way because they thought, this guy's funny. I want to share this on YouTube and let people see it. And those are those moments you just pinch yourself like, what just happened? Pure happenstance can just like, well, it's the same thing for me. Like my whole entire career has been a series of happy accidents. You just go back and you connect the dots. You don't realize right. how you got here sometimes. And um, as a former Dukes of Hazard fan, as a former seven-year-old who used to watch the Dukes of Hazzard uh, religiously, um, Sometimes against my parents' wishes. Um, that uh, that that interview with John Schneider is a, a, an example of, of your approach, and when we've come to expect a little bit of an unconventional interview style from you. Another hallmark of yours, uh, and I noticed this. I, I, this is one of my favorite things from last year when I started getting the NBC Sports Production emails. They would they would they would have a wardrobe email, and it would tell you, you know coat and tie uh for you know dj kyle you know uh, uh pit fire suit for the pit reporters sometimes polo shirts for me or, or whoever and for you it, you had your own special designator it was rut fashion <laughs> <laughs> that, that was like on the mvc sports wardrobe list a few times rut. like rut fashion, fashion which i loved obviously uh, and real I, oxymoron too if you see what i wear <laughs> fashion well, isn't the word i would describe and then i loved walking in the tv compound and i would look through the wardrobe area and i'd see that they had your trademark flannel shirts with like the mvc sports logo stamped on them right so isn't that weird how did this uh is it a look is it, is it, am I, I mean, maybe it's not even fair to describe it as a look. It's just, it's who you are. It's your personality. Like, you know wh- what? Why, why did that become you? I think look? it's my sport coat. <laughs> it's your sport coat. I think, I think the best way to put it is when I, when I first started doing Top Gear, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a t-shirt and jeans guy, right? Like that's what I wear every day. And when I was, when I was on air for speed, a lot of times I, I knew I needed something. I didn't want to wear the same like bowling shirts and like, I don't look good in an above 50 year old person clothes. <laughs> and I was the youngest person that was on air there for a long time. And so I said, all right, well, I'll get some Dickie shirts and I'll put these like patches on it. And it kind of look like the, the guy that, that might be working on your car. And I thought that's great because that's just regular guy. This that's who I am. So I'll do that. And then when I started doing Top Gear, I had to wear something else. And, and any time that I kind of dressed up and, and classed it up for dinner or anything else, I would just wear like a Western-style pearl snap shirt. And so that's what I started wearing. And I realized, like, wow, that would kind of work over here. And so I started wearing them at NASCAR weekends, and everybody was fine with that. And I think we got a few embroidered at first. And so when, when I first started talking to NBC – uh, first off, loyalty is a very real thing. And when Kyle went to NBC, he told him, you know, Rut and I are a package deal. And they're like, yeah, oh, sure. Okay, buddy. All right. He's like, no, seriously, seriously, we got to do this together. 
And they're like, okay, we'll, we'll we'll give them a phone call. Like, we'll talk to them. But when I first met with all the bosses at NBC, they kind of told me, you know, let's talk about things that you're good at, what you what you aren't good at, you know, who are you and all this stuff. And I basically was like, here's the thing. I, I'm confident in myself. I can do anything that this sport allows. I can I could fill in for anybody. I can jump in there. I can talk to any of these drivers, any of these teams about pretty much anything. But don't stick me out there in khakis. <laughs> what? I was like, yeah, don't. If you put me in a golf shirt and khakis, it's going to be bad breaker. for both of us. <laughs> and that's still the, the big boss brought that up yesterday because I got to go to, I get to go to Rio for the Olympics for NBC. Very excited. Which is unbelievable. And I again was like, hey, um, so do I have to wear, do you think I have to wear khakis down there? And he said, no, you talk, that was the first meeting we had. You told me you can't wear khakis. I told him you can wear jeans and plaid. I was like, oh, whew, okay. So what, what, what are you going to be covering, by the way? Uh, I'm going to be doing daily features on, on sort of everything under the sun down there from okay. experiences to athletes and, and I think probably what it's like to go and view the different sports. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. I'm, I'm bummed I'll miss, I'll miss three races because you guys have an off week uh, within there. So, of course, I'm going to miss the off week but um it, it'll be really fun so somehow it just it just came to work that uh what i should say i don't want to correct you i want to educate you yes a dude my size would never sign up to wear flannel that's just a bad idea oh is it okay all right so it's not technically flannel flannel is a fabric plaid plaid is okay. a pattern all right see so that's why i say this plaid is, is rad <laughs> but yeah it's so it just basically was like that's my way of of dressing up and and saying okay, it's work time. Let's go have let's go have a good time. But also, if I always look the same and all the stuff that I'm doing, that I think it makes me to the people that we make all this stuff for a lot more approachable and a lot more recognizable absolutely. in the sense of like, oh yeah, hey, absolutely. The, oh, he's over at Meekum at the car auctions. Yeah, yeah, that's that's Rutledge from NASCAR. Or when they see me on Top Gear, they go, oh, that's a guy from NASCAR and NBC. Like, oh, this is great. Yeah. So. For me, it's been cool that that's just sort of what I look like when I go to work. I feel like I've seen that rut in your interaction with drivers, and one in particular last year that maybe maybe my favorite thing, well, the second favorite thing that I saw you do last year, uh, the Where in the World feature, which was just you and like Bubba Wallace, Danica Patrick, Carl Edwards, um, Joey Logano, and a green screen. Right. And you would just like snap your fingers, or they would snap their fingers, and the green screen location would change. But it looked like they, I mean, obviously the most simple of setups possible. <laughs> and I mean, Danica in particular looked like she had the time of her life right. doing it. Um, how, do you, how have you built those rapports? And do you think like that, again, like your your different approach look maybe maybe helps you do that? I think I think the one thing that's been really cool is I've I've never tried to put myself in a place of, um, of controversy with drivers. There are a lot of people that have fantastic questions that are well-researched that are trying to get to a certain place. And I, I just decided early on, I, I didn't want to be that particular person because I think I can get better stuff out of the drivers if they're really comfortable with me. And that's what we found over the years is that the, the more that I have fun with them and learn about them and, and try to, find ways to get the most out of them that they feel good about that. I feel like we end up with, with really good stuff. And that was one of those funny moments where we had no budget and a green screen <laughs> and we were kind of just keeping them busy in between doing the gigantic NASCARs coming to NBC again, right. promos that were inside this arena. We were just in like a closet basically <laughs> having fun. And, and, and that was so cool to do all that stuff. And they couldn't see anything that was happening because all of that was post edit. So everything we did was just us standing in front of a green screen and everyone had a great time. Pretending to be at Mars yeah. or, or Egypt or and Australia. That, to yeah. me is what, you know, that's one of those times where, you know, when I, most of the time when I see Danica, we either high five or she gives me a hug. And I, I just think that's awesome. Like I, I love to see people that are excited to be doing their jobs that know that they have a really cool position in the world and, and to bring smiles and happiness and Bubba Wallace is one of those guys that same thing you know when he sees kids walking around he goes down and spends time with them, that's a really neat thing to see or Joey like you know a lot of people forget that it wasn't always the coolest thing to be Joey Logano like he was a guy that wanted to be exactly where he is right now and got thrust into that 
way too early. Right. And to be, you know, sliced bread and to, to go through all of the stages that he did to, to kind of get where like, no, I do deserve to be here. I'm good enough. I know that. And now you know that. And so now there's a whole different respect level. You know, that's been a really cool journey to watch and see to be a part of. But honestly, I'm, I'm fans of, of all of these drivers. You know, I, I support, you know, so many different things that, that they do. And a lot of them, things that they're about because they are, they're really different people. Some of them, as you know, are a little different from many of my friends. Right. And, and so that, I think to me, that's one of those times when I smile and I go, man, this stuff is working because we get to see yeah. them and their personality in a moment where you wouldn't normally. Yeah. And so I, I'm glad you like that. No, I, I think there's definitely a place for that. And um, like, I appreciate you being like, candid and forthright that because this was another one of the questions I had on my list about you, you, you obviously then avoid the controversial hard hitting stuff. It sounds like you you know there's a place for that, and, yeah. And like the the journalism role of it is not something you're going to do, but you want other people to do it. But in your case, you you don't want to be in those positions where you have to ask the like the hard hitting interview question. You always I don't want to do it in a two minute format. Yeah. The cool thing is if if now there's a lot of stuff and a lot of questions that I've that I've asked in sit down formats. The the truth is that people a lot of times drivers will give me. Um, they will give me a more honest answer than they'll give a lot of other people. Mm-hmm. We don't always choose to to air those um, because sometimes you have to figure out how you cater a show around that. But at the same time, those aren't things that I'm I'm not afraid of of asking. You know, Danica or Carl or or Joey real things about controversy. But I also think the time and place for it is hugely important. Mm -hmm. When you're about to get in the car and go start a race, it's not a good time to ask about Kansas last year. (laughs) You know, and so I think the cool thing for me is that we're at a place now where we want to use that comfort level to talk more about who they actually are. You know, Kyle and I have been working on the show um, Racing Roots where we're trying to kind of go back and take a driver and see really who they are and, and how they got to this point. But not in that 30,000-foot view. We want to get down on the ground and, and learn about them and their surroundings. And one of those moments this year was was with Kevin Harvick. And Kyle and I flew out to Bakersfield. And we spent three days in Bakersfield. We had about a day and a half with Kevin. And, and literally, we spent the entire day with Kevin. We went to his high school. We met his old coaches. We um, went to to all the tracks out there that he used to go to. We rode on go-karts. We saw Mason Marin, the guy that tore Mason Marin down, who's the, you know, former owner. We went through everything about life there. And we, we put it in a way that's like, Kevin, we want you to show us your hometown. Like, don't, don't listen to what anyone else has said. Where do you want to go? Show us what you want to see. And in that moment, I felt like we walked away with far more information about who Kevin Harvick actually is and how he got there than anything we've ever done at a that track. If you block out a 30 minute block, you know, time in his motorhome, you're right. not going to get all the stuff you right. get if you're walking the streets of Oiledale and, yes, exactly. and all that stuff. Because yeah. you have to, some of these things, the work that we do here is really just to get us to a comfort level of, of doing stuff other places. Mm-hmm. And that to me was one of those great moments or, or when we went and it, we also went and hung out with uh, Clint Boyer and we did the same sort of thing with Clint where we went around and we saw his dad's towing service and we went and picked up a car with his dad. His yeah. dad then promptly backed into a telephone pole <laughs> with the wrecker and you realize like you spend a little time with Clint's parents and you realize that's exactly why he's bananas. Yeah. It's because yeah. they're bananas in the best possible way. And we should, uh, before we move on here, say that that Harvick episode, I think, is running in the next couple of months, we think. Yes, okay. I think. I don't think we have a firm date, but I've, right. I've seen the the final cut being worked on at the NBC Sports Charlotte office, so I believe it's August. And you said you thought it was going to be cool. It's going to be great. I think everybody should watch. Is the name, has it been confirmed it's Racing Roots? No. Okay. All right. That's sort of the I think working title. It. I okay. think that's it. Probably like spilling the soup here. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm major sorry. trouble with I'm messing this up. Just kidding. Let's go. We'll just um, put in a horn noise. Just yeah. it's called honker, just, honker. just watch for NBCSN. Kevin Harvick with Brett yes. Ledgewood and Kyle Petty coming soon in the next couple of months. It's gonna be great. Um, the other piece of work that I really love that you did last year um, wasn't really so much with drivers. It was kind of a more scripted thing. It was the playoff promo. Oh, 
that was my fun. favorite Rutledge Wood thing probably ever. I thought it Thanks. was brilliant, and partially because it it's I thought it hinted subtly at eradicating the use of the word chase. Which, right. by the way, I think we should do. That's a topic for another podcast. But <laughs> I, how, that working on that playoff promo, did you did you have some creative input into it? And how do you do things like that when you when you're kind of like the the center of attention and 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 carrying this this great little promo that we read? I mean, that's a different. That's a totally different ball game. I bet you, you know because so much of of the stuff that I do, I think my goal is to make other people comfortable and make them look good. And talk about the things that are really important. So when it's all of a sudden, it's like, okay, it's just you and you're anchoring this. It's a, it definitely is a big deal. And there was a lot of stuff I had to memorize and I am not an actor. So that's not necessarily my strong suit. <laughs> and that took like a day that to, was to do two that? 13 two, hour days, two 13 I think. 13 hour days for like a, a minute and a half, two minute spot. Something we like. did probably, I bet they cut probably. Because they had a bunch of online ones, too. They probably made five or six different spots out of okay. that, but there were three, I think, big for the the big rounds, right? And there was probably, I don't know, 100 people that were on staff to make that whole thing. You know, there's like three <laughs> different wardrobe people. There's makeup. Then all of the extras. It was a huge amount of effort that, that went in, something like that. The cool thing is um, Lauren and Kevin from, from NBC and the promos are so good at, at making – just creative stuff happened. And they're the ones that just did all the, the drivers making the phone calls to fans. Uh, they, they did the, the green screen thing that you liked when we were going different places. And so they, they've spent enough time around me now that we kind of know some of the fun things that I like, but that whole process was like, okay, what, here's what we're thinking about this. And here's where we want to take, excuse me, here's where we want to take it to, to this sort of point. But like we had to get permission from Charlie Sheen's people to use his picture. Like there were so many different moving parts about like people are like, why was Charlie Sheen in there? It was like winning. That's, that's why. Come on. Really? That seems so on the nose winning. Yes. Yeah. So that was a, that was a huge, huge effort yeah. to, to make that. And I thought what's fun about doing things like that is that's one of those times where we really can reach outside the sport and try to educate people because if you look at the number of hits that got on on Facebook um, and Twitter, how many people are watching, we're reaching a different audience, which is always what I think every sport needs to do. You know, it's we have to we got to bring interest in and we got to tell people, here's how this works. Yeah. If you don't know what the chase is, here's what it is. It's playoffs. And, yep. and here's why. Yep. And here's how you move on. And. I mean, with the like, when I was in the wrestling ring, I was in like an octagon, <laughs> and people are getting body slammed all around me. I'm laughing, trying to think. What words was I just gonna say? Uh, uh, okay, let's go. And that was a that was a really neat thing to be a part of. And that's what I think is really cool about NBC is they want to reach out in different ways, and the way that they kind of use all of us that that are in talent to to move around like when I went to the Kentucky Derby you wouldn't believe how many NASCAR fans I saw there tons because guess what it's still racing yeah. it's still a, a great fun event albeit I was sweating through a suit which I did say I wouldn't wear but the derby's different it was a it was a hundred dollar <laughs> suit from Shinesty and I was looking pretty fly so I think those kind of promos are are really fun. I'm always really glad to get to do something like that because for me it's just two days. Let's go do something fun, and we did it. We shot them in uh, at JKS, which I think is technically in Welcome, right? We stayed down in Charlotte. Holy cow! We should have stayed in Greensboro or somewhere else. But uh, <laughs> adding was, to the thirteen hour day is yes, the, the hour right? commute each way. Oh, it was nutty. But that's what and like when we did the Sonic commercials last year when Kyle and I did those. Now I will say they broke the news to me yesterday that they hired two other actors to do them <laughs> this year. So I'm, I'm. You had a good run. We had a good run. We had a lot of fun doing that one. But I, I'm very lucky to get to do that fun stuff. That that is all. It, it's just all about celebrating the sport and what makes it special. And I'm just, you know, I'm I'm really excited to be a part of it. I think it's taken some people a little longer to realize that I pay a lot more attention than maybe they think. And you don't have to know that. Like if 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 I make my job look easy to other people, then I think I'm doing it right. Yeah. Well. Hopefully this will be somewhat illuminating and telling people a little bit more about your background because that's the whole goal. Um, your your ride is here, and he's and just putting out the vibe, isn't he? So, yeah, he poked his head in the window there. So um, I'll end it with this. Uh, we just talked about two things that you did last year that obviously went, I thought, really well. A anything on your radar screen for what you would like to do this year, wish list wise, dream wish list, what you want to do um, for NBC Sports on a Rutledge Wood style feature that you'd like to do. 
you know, there there's always stuff that we are kind of pitching and, and you you kind of wait on bated breath uh, and try to get, <laughs> get that chance. A, can, can we afford to go do X, Y, and Z? Can we get cameras out there? And then can we get everyone to commit? So there, there's a few things that I'm not going to say that we're <laughs> working on. But I, I, think, I think the real goal for me this year is to, um, you know, I love to be able to be that person that gets to tell you these are the things that you shouldn't miss here. And here's what makes this track special. Because when you're going to these places twice – some people could think, oh, it's, I'm just going to see the same race. or I've, I know what that place is like. I've been there. But that's not true. These things are constantly evolving. And, and the tracks put so much effort into making sort of a different feel each time you go there. And and that's the kind of stuff that I want to chase and I want to find. And I want to tell people about, you know, the efforts that go into that and the people that make it special. And, you know, things like the ISC archives are are, are on that list. Man, it's mm-hmm. a really cool place that without you and, and point that out – I wouldn't have known about that. So I think the big goal is to always get better uh, at telling that story about what makes a track special, what makes the people there special. Uh, and at the end of the day, connecting that with, with the drivers and, and showing why they love to be here. And, you know, there's, there's stories every single weekend that sometimes we just don't have time to tell about someone at the team or someone that something that they're doing. And that's, that's the stuff we always want to keep, trying to focus on and, and remind people that this is one big crazy dysfunctional family that's like a, a weird family reunion there's crazy <laughs> uncles there's your drunk sisters friends like there's everything here as it's one uh, as tony stewart once described with uh the waltons on steroids that's it's it. pretty much nascar right that's yeah. it yeah it, it really is uh okay well we'll look forward to seeing all that certainly in the future i do have more questions of course we did not get to one very important question that i would like to ask you at some point yes. this year so can we save that for oh, a yeah. future let's revisit we'll, we'll have oh, you come I back i will give you i'll give you one hint yes scuba tank aquarium cleaning Tony Stewart. <laughs> Speedo. That's all I'm going to give you. You got me hooked. Okay. All right. We'll save that for another time. We'll be watching. Thanks for being hey, here. Hey, thanks man. for having me, man. I've this had so much fun, fun getting yeah. to getting to know you more, getting to see you in action with and without sports coat. <laughs> Mostly without lately. Mostly yeah. without. I like it. It's yeah. the top down for the summertime, brother. <laughs> Always a pleasure, man. Hey, Appreciate thank it. you. Again, you always have to keep your eye on Rutledge, particularly when he is intimating he will have an interview with Tony Stewart in a Speedo cleaning a scuba tank. That is worth waiting for, but so is all of Rut's stuff. He does take you places that you don't expect, as he said is his goal. He also did the Kentucky Derby for us earlier this year. He will be doing the Olympics in Rio next month, so I'm sure there will be more surprising locales where he'll be headed in the near future. Because this is the NASCAR NBC podcast, I'd be remiss in not reminding you that NBC Sports is back in the full swing of broadcasting NASCAR rake race weekends again. That's New Hampshire Motor Speedway this weekend. That includes Xfinity and Sprint Cup practices, qualifying, and races. You can check the NBC Sports website for listings about where to find TV information, or you always can stream it via the NBC Sports app. Download that to your tablet or smartphone or watch on your computer. You also can catch NASCAR America on weekdays at 6 p.m. on NBCSN. And please check NBCSports.com slash NASCAR for all the daily analysis and news you seek. Thanks again to Tess Quinlan for producing the NASCAR NBC podcast. This episode and all the rest are available on Audioboom, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and a plethora of other smartphone apps. Thanks very much to Tess for getting getting them in all those places. You also can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes for automatic downloads of new episodes. And also check out those places for the NBC Sports podcast lineup for more content, particularly the podcast with Joe Posnanski. As someone who followed the Cleveland Cavaliers championship run intently, uh, I enjoyed his recent discussion with Scott Rabb, a uh, fellow Cleveland native um, of Joe Posnanski, and they had a great illuminating discussion about what that championship meant to the city. Joe frequently has those types of guests, and they are worth a listen. So check that out. Also check out the Pro Basketball Talk and College Basketball Talk podcasts and the Roto World podcasts. Always are terrific if you're into fantasy sports. If you have ideas for guests, suggestions, questions, please send me feedback on Twitter at Nate Ryan. Always interested in hearing what people liked and what else they'd like to hear in the program. Thanks again for listening to the NASCAR NBC podcast. We appreciate you listening, and I hope you enjoyed it.
I'm Steve Letarte, STP auto expert and former crew chief. I know what it takes to keep engines performing at their best. STP's latest breakthrough additive, STP Ultra 5-in-1 plus Fuel System Cleaner plus Fuel Stabilizer delivers three times the amount of cleaning agents versus premium gasoline and helps keep fuel fresh during storage. For over 60 years, STP has been on the cutting edge developing products to help engines run better, longer. One bottle contains three times by weight the amount of cleaning agents compared to 20 gallons of the leading premium gasoline. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.